Well, in the um, spirit of the Olympics, as I know you're all watching, glued to them, like myself, I hope you are anyway, um, I, I want to ask this question. Has anyone in this room ever heard of this name, uh, Sirenivasa Gauda? Anybody ever heard of that name? Um, well, me neither. <laughs> me neither until this week. I had never heard that name until I read an article this week. And, and this individual ran um, 100 meters in 9.55 seconds. Now, right now you're thinking I'm talking about the Olympics, right? I'm not. This is what's so interesting about this person. He is a Kambala runner, right? So this is the guy. Uh, this is the man, uh, 100 meters in 9.55 seconds running by these big bulls. And, and so a lot of you may be like, well, hey, if big bulls are running beside me, I probably could do that as well. But uh, nonetheless, uh, there, so this is this guy. Now, there's another runner that I want to pop on the screen and ask this question. You ever heard of this guy? Usain Bolt, right? All right, so first guy, nobody raised their hands. How many people have heard of this second guy? Raise your hand. Everybody. He ran the 100 meters in 9.58 seconds. Now that's fascinating now that you're starting to calculate the numbers. I didn't put those up there incorrectly. That is the legit numbers. You read those correctly. One is a construction worker from India and one is a track runner from Jamaica. One remains largely unknown to the world caveat because he still hasn't showed up. India is trying to get him to come over and run on their track. <clears throat> but the other one... Almost everybody knows the second individual. So here's my question. Potentially, the only thing standing between the top guy and the second guy in going from good to great, there's only one potential thing, and that being the training and the publicity that the second one has received, right? So, I mean, it, we look at this and we go, this is... Everybody knows of the spectacular, amazing Usain Bolt. And now I wonder, well, what if this guy, who obviously is pretty dadgum good, if you're running through a muddy, it's called a paddy field, P-A-D-D-Y, as a matter of fact, I see a bunch of you looking it up on your phone right now to make sure I'm not crazy, all right? If, if this guy can run through this muddy paddy field, what could he do if he just had the same training, the same information, everything that Usain had at his disposal? If he just had that, what could make him great, right? Now throw that up there because today I think that's exactly where the text is going to take us. It is one thing to know the saving grace and the goodness of Christ. That's one thing. It's a whole nother thing to experience the fullness of joy that is greater than just the goodness. There's a difference in just being saved and being being saved. It's two totally different things. One's good and the other one is great. It's more full. It's one thing to see the grossness of our sin and understand the restoration and the righteousness in Christ. And it's a whole nother thing to experience the greatness of Christ that we can have on a daily, every single moment-by-moment moment basis. It's two different things. It's just a whole nother level. And what Paul's going to show us today is that the good Christian experience can indeed become a great Christian experience. And sometimes the only thing that we need to get from good to great is just the information and the training and that next level just like Usain has received. Let's go ahead and get him off the screen, lest we all continue to daydream about how fast these guys are. 
And I know, I know, some of you writing down, you got his name written down, you're going to research. Go, go research that cat later. It's, it's pretty phenomenal. Well, here's what Paul's going to show us. He's going to show us in, in two weeks. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 11 of Colossians is going to say, okay, to become great, here's what you need to put off. You need to put off certain things that are slowing you down. And it's going to be that Christ is supreme. I just gave it to you. it. What is the key word for all of Colossians? Christ is supreme. supreme. Yeah, you should have learned that by now. We're seven weeks in, right? So it's going to show us that he's supreme over wayward passions. Next week, verses 12 through 17, he's going to say, not only do you have to put off some things to experience the greatness of Christ, but you have to put on some things as well. That's coming again next week. It's going to show us that he's supreme over worship. And so it's going to kind of be a two-part mini-series, if you will, stuck right in the middle of the book of Colossians. Uh, So... I hope that you will be here next week for this week to make even more sense. All right? So with that said, let's dive into God's Word together. All right, you ready? Got your Bibles open, phones open, watching the screen, Colossians chapter 3, and our ongoing study through the book of Colossians. Paul says this, If then, all the things we've learned from chapters 1 and 2, If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is. He's seated at the right hand of God and set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you've died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, we just sang that song, all I have is Christ. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Good to great. Good Christian experience, great Christian experience, number one. I think we can see from this text that the great life is fixated. It's continually seeking. It's continually setting our minds on things that are found above. I've tried to illustrate, I try to do this for you every Sunday, where we're getting these things from the text. What the text is saying to us. We let it speak to us. And that's what we see, this seeking, this setting, this mind. And and the great life in Christ finds itself doing that. It's good to know that I'm saved. It's great to continue pondering on the greatness of salvation. And so note a couple of things about this. Note first, this great life is fixated on knowing the crown jewel of heaven and not heaven itself. It's not that we're called to experience the fullness of Christ by thinking about streets of gold. We're not called to think about the greatness of the Christian life by thinking about um, uh, wonderful spreads of food. And as Isaiah 25 says, a feast full of well-aged wine. Right? It's, it's not, that's not the, the joy that truly comes. The true joy is that we think, Paul says, think on, fixate your mind on where Christ is. We think about the crown jewel itself. Now this is simple, right? But it is incredibly profound. Let me show you how it works out. The more that you think about Christ's sovereignty on a daily basis, then you'll care a little bit less about what the world thinks. And it's a little bit less of what happens in the world. Does it really matter? When we ponder the greatness and sovereignty of Christ, this world kind of does dwindle away. It's just so when that big life change is coming in your life, and you're all freaking out, right? Not freaking, you're freaking out, all right? You are, you are worried to death about that life change coming. 
You can do one thing. You can get sucked into thinking about that. Or, as Paul says, you can fixate on Christ's sovereignty. And if Christ is sovereign over that thing you're worried about, then all of a sudden your worry falls a little bit less, doesn't it? It's pretty simple, but it's incredibly profound. So he says, fix on Christ's sovereignty and, and fix, fixate yourself on his power. Remember Christ's power. And so when the fears of the world grip you, uh, right, let's use another illustration. It looks like round two of, of the pandemic is coming. It looks like it's already blowing its waves in the wind. You can do one of two things. You can be fearful and just fall immediately into that, or you can think about Christ's power, think about His glory over all things, and, and begin to wonder, okay, what is He doing? He's sovereign over it. He's got to be accomplishing something. That doesn't mean we turn a blind eye and just be stupid humans. Right? But we fixate, and it, it changes things in us. It, it alleviates at least... That fear, once we focus on His power, we think more about Christ's presence, right? He says, listen, focus on fixate on His being, so therefore we think about His presence. And so when the loneliness of the world consumes you, you just feel lonely for whatever reason. When you think about Christ's presence, all of a sudden you're, you're no longer lonely anymore. If he's that real, he becomes that full. And so when you're hurting and that hurt turns to isolation, we focus on Christ and then he fills the void and, and we become whole again. This is what Paul's getting at. We fixate our eyes on him first. The second, notice that the great life is fixated on what surrounds us now as those hidden in God. Did you catch that phrase? If we're in Christ, we're now hidden in God. Maybe a way that I think we could illustrate this would be something that fascinated me growing up a lot, and maybe some of you. Snow globes. Did anybody else love snow globes? I love these things. Um, and I can remember having the little ones, and then all of a sudden the water would start leaking out. I'd go, oh no, my snow globe is dying. But then you get the bigger ones, once you get, and you swirl that thing, and it's just spinning around. It mesmerizes. Some of y'all are smiling because you did the same thing. And just looking into it, imagining and daydreaming. I, you probably couldn't guess that I would daydream a little bit, but daydreaming about stories that went on in my slow gro- snow globe. Just think through it, all that kind of stuff. I, I think this is the imagery he's giving us. Before Christ, you were stuck in the world's snow globe. It had no hope. All you could do was spend your money to find some form of identity. Not spending because you need, but spending because you're trying to find something to satisfy. You spend your time in the world to earn applause or earn promotion or whatever it is. But after Christ, you're removed from that snow globe and you are now surrounded... By the fullness of God Himself. We're now in a different snow globe, if you will, proverbially, as those who are in Christ. It changes things. And so if we want to have that great life, we remember that. We're, we're transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And so our spending now is fixated upon God. Our working is now fixated upon God. Our habits, our parenting is now fixated upon God. But when we're in the worldly globe, we have no paradigm for that. And, and we're now surrounded by His fullness. And so, yes, 
We strive as Christians for excellence in everything we do. There is no doubt about that. But what Paul's saying is, though we strive for excellence, we're not dominated as Christians by anything in this world. Nothing dominates us other than fixating upon Him. And that's the full Christian life. Note third about this verse. The great life is fixated finally on a state of glorification. That was that last little phrase there. We will appear with Him in glory. We look on Him because one day as believers... We'll appear with Him in glory. And Paul is saying that should change things. That should take us from, oh, I'm a Christian, to, I'm a Christian. <laughs> Whoa, well, here I am. I'm, I'm of the redeemed. Well, you really sound like you're of the redeemed. To, I'm of the redeemed. To, oh, you know, Christ, He, he, he forgave me of my sin. To, He forgave me of my sin. And it changes things and we think about this glorification state. If you want to experience the fullness of the great Christian life, fixate your eyes upon the fact that one day you will be glorified. You'll be with Him. I don't know about you, man, but one day there will be no more wrestling with that sin that's beating your eyes in right now. One day there will be no more distress that's hurting your heart right now. One day there will be no more wondering about whether this is going to happen or that's going to happen or or it'll be gone. One day there will be true eternal security for all believers and that fixating upon that changes life now. His fullness will truly fill every square inch of our emptiness. His righteousness will truly fulfill and fill every square inch of our sinfulness. His presence will replace every square inch of our uh, wondering and emptiness and His life will truly replace every square inch of our death. That's the hope for the believer. Matt Tootle. I almost said God rest his soul, Johnny. And he's not dead at all. But he did leave us and move to Birmingham, which God rest his soul. Rest in peace, Matt Tootle. (laughs) Y'all going to text him today and tell him to watch this. Yeah, yeah. please don't. He he did hear it. He's our FBI agent. So anyway, Matt, you're listening right now. Way off track. He used to always talk about this. He used to always talk about, they would talk about pothole fixation. Um, in training for motorcycle cops. And, and, and so in the training, what they would train is this. Hey, you don't want to look ahead at the pothole. Because if you look at the pothole, you're going to become fixated on it. You're going to set your mind on it. And your eyes will naturally draw your hands to the same place. And so if you fixate on, on the pothole, you're going to head that way. But what you need to do in, in motorcycles, especially when you're driving and chasing somebody or whatever, is you need to look ahead. And if you look ahead, that's going to steer you in the right direction that you need to go. And I think that's exactly what Paul's saying. If you want to experience the greatness of the fullness of the Christian life, where are you fixated on? Are you fixated on the current situation? Are you fixated on your current struggle? Are you fixated? Are you stuck there? 
Or are you looking ahead to the glory of Christ, the hope of Christ, everything that Christ has accomplished, the fullness of Christ? That's what Paul's getting at. So if you go, I just don't feel the fullness of Christian joy. Well, Paul's saying, why? What do you have your eyes fixated upon? And because of all these truths as we start driving this thing to a close... Number one, Paul says the greatness of the Christian life is continually setting our minds on things above. And then number two, the great Christian life is fixated on warring with the evil we experience below. The two go together. Fixate our eyes and then war on the evil that we see below. Let's look at verse 5. And this will conclude our text for today. So, because of all that, therefore, put to death what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you, you once walked while you were living in them. When you were stuck in that snow globe, that's who you were. But now, you must put away them all. Put away anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Don't lie to one another. Seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. So fourthly, the great life is fixated on a very real heart war. It's very real to experience the fullness. And so so all those first three, yes, I can be fixated on the crown jewel of heaven. Yes, I can be fixated on the fact that I'm surrounded and hidden in God. Yes, I can be fixated on the fact that one day I'll be in a state of glorification. But now we hit this one and go, ooh. (laughs) Paul, it was real fun when you were talking ethereal, but you're getting real personal now. And he's getting real personal for our good. So let's pull up our big boy pants And let's dive in and see the fullness of the greatness of Christ in warring with our own flesh. And I say war because notice what he said. He said, if you're going to experience the fullness of Christ, you've got to put to death something. And putting to death doesn't just imply, but it really involves pain. To put to death our sin involves pain, doesn't it? It involves a real effort. It involves real blood. It, it, it involves real tears, doesn't it, when we put to death our, our sin. In a real sense, as the early church fathers used to say, there is a mortification of the flesh that has to occur, even for believers. Though we are positionally righteous, we presently still war and we labor and we strive. And that, Paul says, is good. It's good to be about that. It's not bad. I remember growing up in, in, in churches where people would come to the altar and, and you're like, oh, they, <laughs> they got a lot of junk going on. They must have a lot of really bad stuff. I sure am glad I'm not them, right? And it was this, that repentance was this bad thing. And Paul says, no, 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 no. No. When we war against our sin, it is good. And the Father doesn't go, well, I sure am surprised that you did that. He says, yes. You have never looked more like my son than now. You're bathing him in. You're you're trusting in his righteousness. You're confessing your sin. You're putting him on a pedestal. You're lowering yourself. And the father smiles in those moments. And that's what Paul says. So I want 
spend a ton of time on it, but I say war because there's a putting to death, but I say it's a heart war because all evil does stem from the heart. Did you notice all those things are heart issues rather than external issues? Now, they bleed themselves out to external issues, but the great full life wages war with sexual immorality. Those internal desires, that, those thoughts, that flirting, the pornography, the adultery, the, the whatever, the, the real full Christian life, it, it fights that, man. The full Christian life wages war with impurity, desires, actions, pursuits, whatever those things are. The full Christian life wages war with our passions, what we crave, our, our, what we're passionate about. It wages war against that. Hey, let's just, let's just let's throw uh, the level ground at the foot of the cross. All of us are born with gross, twisted cravings. All of us. And some of your cravings are different than the person to your right or your left and the person in front of you and behind you. But everybody's born with warped cravings. And Paul says the mark of the full Christian life is not that you don't have the warped craving, it's that you war against it. That you fight it. All of us have to fight something. He wages war with evil desire, he goes on to say. That vengeance, that hatred, that angerness, that bitterness, that wanting bad to happen to that person. Because as we all know, they deserve it. Come on. We deserve it too. We wage war with covetousness. That jealousy that we don't have that thing or that something. It's what we fixate our hearts on because we believe Christ is not enough. Christ is not enough, so I need the mastercraft. Need the mastercraft. Which may be true. I need it. No, I don't. I'm just jealous that I don't have it and I think that it will fill a void in my heart that Christ is not filling. Wage war against that, he says. Wage war with the anger. Not the external anger, but the internal boiling, Right? That not letting go, the festering anger over something that has occurred. Wage war with wrath. There he goes. Lest you thought it was okay to just spew it out. He says, wage war with the internal anger, but also wage war with the fact that sometimes that erupts outside like a volcano. Wage war against wrath. Wage war with malice. Rejoicing when misery does indeed fall on somebody. Wage war against that. Wage war against slander. Hurtful, stinging talk that makes us feel oddly better about ourselves as we beat down the other person. Wage war with obscene talk, abusive, condescending, manipulative speech. Wage war against it. Wage war with lying. Wage war against what not honest. Wage war for what is truthful. Wage war with deception for whatever reason we're being deceptive. Wage war to put on the new self. That's what he says here. But for that one, you got to wait till next week. Because we're not putting on this week, we're putting off. Next week we will put on, but this week we put off. I'd be willing to bet that you couldn't watch one hour of TV and not see all 11 of these things manifested before your eyes. Heck, I'd be willing that you couldn't watch one of those weird perfume commercials and not see at least six of them. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? 
Like the man walks out with a line and all of a sudden he licks an apple and then he shoots an arrow and then they're like, Chateau de Blue. You're like, what did I just watch? And why do I want to buy your cologne? This is bizarre. You know what I'm talking about. Okay, Danny, straighten me out, brother. But if I'm dead honest... I couldn't look one second in the mirror and not see all 11 in my own heart. There's a good chance you're in the same boat. And he says, listen, you were born into a warped, twisted, sensualized, erotic world, but that is not your home. And if you want to experience the fullness, fight it. Fight it. Sometimes it may whoop your... But fight it. And I'm going to be dead honest with you. I would rather have a church full of people acknowledging the fight and fighting our way to heaven than relaxing and finding ourselves in the pit of hell. We're not perfect. But by gosh, we're persistent. And that's the call. So we can walk in grace. And we church can pursue holiness. And those two are not at odds with one another. They're married. So the mark of the great Christian indeed is not perfection, but it's we're fixated on taking the next step, the next step of worship in whatever it may be. What a text. I don't think we should ask the question, what would Jesus do? That's not what I'm getting at. A lot of ears just perked up then. They're like, what on earth is he talking about? I think it's, okay, it's, a, it's an okay question. My gosh, we can't measure up to the sinless, virgin-born Son of God. I mean, He can do things that we just can't do. Jesus can walk up into a strip joint and not sin and tell everybody they're wrong. Troy Nicholson better not walk up into a strip joint and attempt to do that. What would Jesus do? I, you know. But a question we can ask is what would worship be? That we can ask. What would worship be for me in this next decision? What would worship be for me in this next choice? What would worship be for me in this next temptation I'm facing? What would worship be for me in this next thing I want to spend? What would worship be for me in this whatever? What would worship be that... That we can wrap our minds around. And that will drive us from the good Christian life to the fuller Christian life. We'll talk about that again next week. As a matter of fact, if, if Beth will release some money out of the budget, we might even buy some bracelets. 
Y'all think I'm kidding, but a lot of you are like, my gosh, he'll buy them. I'm telling you, he will have some bracelets here next week. We'll have some, we will have bracelets here next week. What would worship be? How do we walk away from this text? Here's what we do. Number one, we walk away asking the Lord through prayer to fix our eyes on things that are above. That's what we, we, we walk away in its simplicity. Where am I not looking at you and how can I fix my eyes, Lord? So we pray that all week long. Number two, we seek the Lord through His Word and we fixate our day on Him before it even begins. We fixate on Him. Number three, we reflect on how the fact that He brought from dead to life as the horns blew just a minute ago. And we reflect on the fact that that alone is more fixating than anything else, even the brand new Mastercraft. It's close, but we fixate on that. Sticky notes, music, text to one another, whatever it is. Number four, we, we fight the delusion that we have no need for repentance. We own it. We own it that we battle all 11 things that he mentioned and we could all add a million more. And we repent and we focus on how awesome Christ is. Number five, we ponder. What do I daydream about when there's nothing else to think about? What, what do I fulfill my time with? What do I think about? What do I daydream about? When there's nothing else to do, do I think about cutting the perfect lines in a lawn as they all should be? When there's nothing else to think about, do I think about how do I get my family back to the beach one more time? When there's nothing else to think about, do I think about that next Amazon purchase? When there's nothing else to think about, do I think about that next shooting house that I need to build? Now, y'all know that ain't me because I don't climb up in them mugs. <laughs> they are too cold. Do I think about the championship game that was so awesome? Do I think about that next piece of chocolate cake? What do I think about? There's nothing else to think about. Because the truth is, we're all the rich young ruler, right? You don't remember the rich young ruler? He comes up to Jesus, what do I got to do to enter heaven? He says, go give away your stuff. No big deal. He goes, whoa, I don't know about that. We're all the rich young ruler. And Paul is saying, think about that. Contemplate. Those things that you hoard in your heart over and above Christ. Of course, listen, you can go to the extreme in all this. There's, there's, there's no doubt about that. But the fact remains, Paul is clearly pushing us to mature and grow up in our fixation upon Christ, isn't he? That's what he's calling us to. And the implication of all of it, Ben, come on back up. is if we can set our minds on things of the earth, then we can indeed choose to set our minds through Christ on things that are above. That's the call. So church, let's not settle for good when there's great to be had. That's the call. Hey, let's pray together. Lord, again, thank you for your text.
So I just pray that right now we won't bypass where the text has us and jump straight to the gospel. It's coming. But Father, I pray that we'll repent. That now is a time to repent. That, that we'll, we'll contemplate those things that when we look in the mirror, we see and we feel the things that are holding us back from the full Christian life. There is no doubt in my mind, Lord, that there's somebody in here struggling with all those things. Adultery, pornography, anger, wrath, malice, licentiousness, thoughts, all those things. God, that today they would turn from their sin and turn to you. They would confess it. And then, Lord, we'll be able to rightly experience the fullness of the gospel as Tyler pours it on us in just a second. So God, I pray that as we sing this, this next song, the, the altar song, I forgot what it's called, Lord, uh, that we'll come to the altar in our hearts. Heck, that we'll come to the altar in our physical bodies and confess our need for you. That we will wage war right now for your fullness. Mortify our sin, Lord. Mortify it. We're going to sing. The altar's open. Let's respond before the Lord.